have to. Yeah. Were you recording already? So, um, yeah, pray for me with this fan and my Bible. It's going to be interesting. Oh, nice. Think of everything right now. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Pat, can you hear me? Pat, can you hear me? <laughs> I guess that was a no. So, um, thank you, Tim, for that introduction. And um, thank you, Jay, for, for slaving to put this together. Um, our brother is very gifted with administration. So uh, I just want to pray and uh, get into the message. I'm known for being long-winded, so just bear, bear it, just grin and bear it. Um, but I'll, I'll try to stay within my time limits. Um, so let's do something. Everybody just stand up. Grab a brother's hand. And let's just pray together. <laughs> Dear Father, we, we thank you, God, um, just for the opportunity to koinonia, to fellowship, to share all things together. And Lord, like as Tim said, this is this is one of the ways, one of the resounding ways that the world sees and is drawn to you through us. So Father, just teach us, teach us uh, through your word, teach us by your spirit, teach us Lord through even the labors that you've strengthened me to um, just dig in a little into the word, to, to dig for some jewels, some gems Lord, that you uh, need to plant in the hearts of men. Leave us something to take home and um, challenge us. Grow us up, Lord, in you. We thank you. Bless your word. Bless your word, Lord. Bless your word. Exalt your, your son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. 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 Um, <clears throat> so this topic is one that um, is really close to my heart. Um, you could kind of say that I've been on a lifelong journey to figure out how to be a man. Um, I didn't necessarily grow up with examples of, or good examples of, of manhood. And when I got saved, uh, I think I realized this deficit even more. And so one of the things that that I've often wrestled with was um, why it feels, why it often feels like men find it, we men find it so difficult to, to let people in, to, 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 to break down the walls and to, to really let people know us, to be, to be seen and to see others. Sometimes we're fearful to pursue others 
because we don't want to be pursued ourselves. And that may be because of sin, or um, it just may be because we were hurt, um, and there may or may not be sin in that. It may be we just never learned how to do it. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, <clears throat> it's my heart, and it's not just my heart, I think it's the Lord's heart that we learn how to be intimate with other men. And I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about relational intimacy. I'm talking about loving one another, sharing with one another, suffering with one another, grieving with one another. And um, I think we have a hard time with that. You know, I, I see my women and my wife and her friends, and they, they get into it. And it seems at times that they get into it a little too much. Um, but I respect that, and, and, and there's a longing in my heart for more of that with us. You know, when's the last time you loved enough to get into a heated argument with a brother in Christ? Think about that. I can't remember the last time I got into a heated argument with a brother in Christ. So there's something that's saying something to us. What is that saying to us? You don't care enough. Because you do get in heated arguments with your wife, don't you? Yeah. So, so you don't care enough. You're not, you're not invested enough. I'm not invested enough to go there, to, to get in heated arguments, and argument's not, it's not a bad word, let's call it conflict, if you don't like argument, let's call it heated conflict with, with a close brother. So uh, tonight, I just want to talk about male friendship and male intimacy. Um, so I, I asked you brothers to hold hands for a reason. And uh, that was kind of planned and purposeful. I wanted to see, by show of hands, no, you don't have to show me your hands, but who was uncomfortable reaching out? You don't, have, you don't have to answer. Reaching out and grabbing another brother's hand. Who felt kind of awkward? Um, so that, that just tells you there that there's, there's some things that the Lord can uh, free us from and grow us up in, in terms of intimacy. So um, turn with me to John, the book of John, chapter 13. I just want to look at this for a moment. as a man, when I say these words, I'm saying this to you guys, I love, I love men. I love men. I, I love, I love you brothers. Um, and when I say that as a man, what does that, what does that do to you? I, I would, I would guess that many of you are, are kind of thinking, 
I'm strange, or this guy is a little too touchy-feely, or, and some of you might even squirm in your seats. Some of you might think something a bit perverted in terms of, yeah, I don't go that way, or, you know, the thing that kind of clicks in, a, in, in our minds when we hear that. So I'd like to say that when I say something like that, or when another brother says something like that, the society that we live in have, has toxified, in a sense, male intimacy. It's, it's, made it, it's made what was originally good and clean and right to be not so good and not so clean and not so right. How many of you guys kind of squirm when you see uh, John in, in uh, the book of John lean his head on Jesus' bosom and say, what's that about? What's, that's, that's kind of strange. And that's male intimacy in a word picture, in a culture that hasn't necessarily been um, inundated with a false intimacy, which is what homosexuality uh, tends to tends to be. So true and intimate relationships between men in our society have been made an aberration. The truth is that a man should a man should love other men. The truth is that um, a man should be able to say, I love you, not, I love you, man, <clears throat> but I love you, I love you, and not um, make somebody too uncomfortable. It is biblical for us to love one another and to be able to express intimate love towards one another without the perversion that our our minds are in need of being renewed in that way. So you're in 1 John 13. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says this. I'm going to read 34 and 35, then we're going to hop back. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Christ is our example, right? He's our example in life. He's our example in relationship. He's our example in manhood. Christ is the man of all men, men right? He's, he's the man. He's also God, but he is the man. He is the example. And Christ, in many, in many places, in many ways, showed uh, what our society would call soft, softness, right? He showed, he wept. He empathized. He cared. He pursued. He looked to get to the heart 
of what was on a man's mind or on a man's heart. He looked to get down to the heart of what was going on. Not just surface stuff like we do. So yes, man, this does not just apply love, loving one another. Intimacy does not just apply to you and your wife or you and your kids or you and your cousins or family members. It applies to how we love one another. In fact, we are family members, right, in Christ. So let's, let's, let's dig, dig into the scripture a little more. Jumping back to verse 1, here's what's going on. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put in, it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to be, betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's jump to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Hmm. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, our, our Lord here is not commanding this of his disciples based solely on, you know, three years of service towards them. He spent time caring for them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He fed them. He taught them. He loved these men. And, and, and it's not just that that he's asking or commanding these men from. Yes, he could have commanded them to follow his example based on that alone, but, but no, he just completed perhaps one of the most powerful examples of humble and intimate service that one could display. He had just totally abased himself. God of very God just went as low as he could go right before these men and became as a servant of servants while the twelve sat there in awe, literally in awe, watching him, squirming in their seats as he wrapped the towel around himself to, to bend on his knees to start and serve them this way. 
See, Jesus was not an impersonal man. He wasn't one of those leaders that say, hey, I'm going to lead you, but you stay 10 feet away from me. In fact, don't even look at me. Look away. You know, he's not one of those leaders. He's, he's one of those leaders that, that allowed men to lean on him, lay their head on his shoulders. He, he, he showed them what servitude was in this very act. He loved men intimately. He loved men personally. He loved men powerfully. He loved men courageously. You know, we kind of think of Jesus sometimes and we don't think of the man. This is a leader. This is a disciple. This is a discipler. This is, this is the God-man. But this is a man. He's a man. He had to think about, man, that's, just think about it for a second. He had to think about the ramifications of what he was going to do. See, see, washing feet was, was something that was done in most every household to guests that came into the house in this time and age. They didn't have paved roads like we have, and they didn't have, you know, nice pair of Jordans like our brother Joel sports all the time. They didn't have that. See, they, they had sandals. They had, they had flip-flops, if you will, with, with leather straps and and, 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 and they, had, they had a lot of stuff all around the place. The salt, the wasted salt we know about, right, from one of the parables. But they, they had mud, they had dung all over the place. All animals, cows, oxes, horses, donkeys, all, all over the place. And they walked almost bare, barefoot through this stuff. So just picture that. And then they're in the middle of the meal. They're already eating. And somebody forgot to wash the feet as they came in. Somebody perhaps dropped the ball. But they were comfortable. Everybody was comfortable. The leader himself, our Christ, was comfortable. And he made himself uncomfortable. See, Jesus had the nerve to care for these men by, by displaying, you know, this, it, by doing this disgusting job of cleaning, cleansing, washing, caressing their feet. It was just the ultimate display of care. What, did he, what, what does it take to be able to even touch somebody's foot? You're usually pretty close to them, right? I don't think any man has ever touched my feet, except for my father, probably when I was a baby. So what does it take? What does, what does it take? Sometimes I, I test people and I just, I just touch their face. If, they, if I see a cotton ball, a piece of cotton on your face, I'll just I just grab it just to see the reaction. Some men jump, some just stand. But it, it tells you something about the man, perhaps, but our culture, probably more so, and the way it's affected us. 
See, foot washing wasn't a point at all here. See, the, the, the act itself is not the point. I believe the thing that Jesus would like us to see here, or one of the things that he'd like us to see here, is that it's okay, it's fitting to get uncomfortably close to one another. It's all right. I believe the Lord wants to show us that loving each other isn't, isn't necessarily clean. It's not always neat. It's not, it's not always packaged up in this nice, neat little package, right? We, we learned some of that through race and grace, right? But at the end of the day, moving this close towards one another is what he desires, is what he wants for us. Tim said it, he set me right up, right? He said it perfectly. The world needs to see the way intimacy should look through you and through me. The world, just like we were and we are, is drawn to real connection and intimacy. The world are a bunch of people that have holes, empty places in them that need to be filled. Why do you think fraternities are so popular? Why do you think clubs are so popular? Why do you think all these societies are so popular? People want to fill that with something. I think you see it most prevalently in, in, in teenagers of our day of our day and age. They, they really are hungry for um, engagement. They're hungry. And perhaps this has always been the case, but um, that's, those are, uh, that is one of the examples that I see a lot. So, um, foot washing. You might ask yourself, what does foot washing look in this day and age? What does it look like? It might be, it might be telling my brother, hey, brother, I love you, man, but um, you're a little, you, you, you were a little harsh with your son. It might be, hey, brother, that was the most encouraging and uplifting song I've ever heard anybody sing as you get off the stage from ministering. It might be calling and just asking somebody, can I pray for you? See, foot washing doesn't have to necessarily break barriers in, in, in what it looks like or break intimacy barriers per se with that one engaging act, but it's something that is purposeful, it's intentional, and it's is consistent. So are we willing to get close enough to a brother to love him enough to see his mess, to wash his feet? If not, why not? What are we afraid of? How can we turn fear into faith and glorify God? See, we can, we can keep being like the world, or we can be counterculture, what we're called to. So I'd like to show you guys another example. Let's kind of go in it together. 
in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have it, say amen. I guess you guys don't want to say amen. <laughs> That's a Baptist church thing. <laughs> if you don't have it, say ouch. You don't have it? Oh, man. Somebody help that man share a Bible. I'm going to read it, so listen intently, brother. See, male intimacy is God-centric. It starts with God. It's sacrificial. And it's covenantal. Just as a background for 1 Samuel 18. In 1 Samuel 17... David had just slain the giant Philistine, Goliath. Everybody knows the story. And no sooner than David slayed him was he called into the king's presence. The king made inquiries about David's lineage, but he missed something. He missed where David got his real courage and valor. He was trying to figure this kid out. He asked, from what family are you? Who's your father? But he missed something. He missed that the, the courage that David had was a lot less, had a lot less to do with his lineage down here and more to do with his father in heaven. Saul missed it, but Jonathan did not. Jonathan saw it, and Jonathan was instantaneously connected with this man wanted to be connected with this man and attached himself, literally, to this man. So in verse, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, we read, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. He loved him. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him, even as himself. Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. That's pretty amazing, if you think about it. Because Jonathan knew his own lineage. His father was the king. So that made him the next king. But he knew something. Jonathan had a relationship with the father. He had a relationship with the Lord. So he knew that David was the man to resume the kingship. And I don't think that that alone or even that was the driver. He just loved this man. He just loved him. See, Jonathan was committed to David. He loved him deeply. And it wasn't a homosexual kind of love. Many are, are out there arguing that uh, that is what was going on. They pervert the relationship. They pervert the scriptures in so doing. But this, this love was between two kindred spirits who by God 
have a heartfelt love one for another to the point where all that Jonathan had, he freely and willingly gave over to David. See, true friendship, listen to this quote, true friendship according to the Bible involves loyalty, sacrifice, compromise, and yes, emotional attachment. This is what we should learn from David and Jonathan. Yes, men can be and even should be emotionally connected to other men. That's from an unknown author. I just wanted to quote somebody so you guys wouldn't think I was crazy. See, have you seen yourself drawn to a man because you see the power of God or the spirit of God manifest in his life? Have you allowed yourself to be vulnerable enough to pursue a relationship with that man? If not, why not? You can see the God in somebody and say, I want that. What he has, I want. And you can pursue that man and, and pursue relationship with him so you can get ultimately get closer to the Lord. Do you have an emotional, transparent relationship with another man? Does anybody know that you wet the bed when you were 11? Does anybody know that? And it's silly, right? It's silly, sounds silly, but it's vulnerable. Does anybody know that? And how it affected you? And how it may even affect you today? And what affected you to make you do it? See, male intimacy that stands, male intimacy um, should and can stand in the gap for one another. See, later in the, in the narrative, in 1 Samuel, we see Jonathan risk his own life to save David. As Saul, Jonathan's father, in his jealous outrage, seeks to kill David. Saul knows God's plan for David and yet resist God's will. See, Jonathan quickly interjects, defending David, trying to convince Saul of David's innocence. And this first time, as I read 1 Samuel 19, 4, it works. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Later in, uh, in chapter 20, Jonathan finds himself again defending David, and despite the incredulity of David's claim that Saul still wanted his head, Jonathan listened to David. Jonathan empathized with David. You're calling my father an attempted murderer. And I'm sitting there. I'm listening to you. I'm engaging you. I'm, 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 I'm believing you. At least leaving that, that window open. 
and he cared. He cared by acting on David's behalf. We know that he cared because we had the scripture that showed us he cared. That interaction that they had, Jonathan and David, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan ends up saying, whatever you want, to, want me to do, I'll do for you. That's the kind of love that he had for his brother. That's the kind of commitment he had for his brother. Later, let's just hop down real quick. In uh, 1 Samuel 20, 32, Jonathan says, why should he, David, be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan, then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. <laughs> so he didn't know. He was still perhaps on the fence of whether it was true or not. But after that, <coughs> try to kill your own son in your rage, in your jealousy, in your envy. But that's a whole, that's a whole other sermon. See, Jonathan left that place with fear, fierce anger, it says in verse 34. And then he grieved and fasted the next day. So do you listen to your brother? Do you have a brother that you listen to? We're talking about really listen to. Besides talking about sports, World Cup, you know, NFL. But really listen to. Do you have a brother? I know it's hard enough listening to our wives, but do you have a brother that you listen to? Do you care? Do you empathize with your brother? Do you say, yeah, I, I, I know how you can feel that way. I felt that way before too. Have you ever been in a place of great personal grief for your brother's calamity? Do you stand in the gap for your brother, defending him? He's not here. Don't talk about him. Don't talk about him like that. Or even if he is there, hey, that's my brother. I know him. I love him. He's not the man that you're painting a picture him to be, of him to be. Do you pray for him through trials? Do you put your life on the line for the life of a brother? This is my third and final point. Yes, you can breathe easy now. It's kind of long, though. Jonathan warns David of his father's intent to kill him and sends him off to seek refuge and safety. See, male intimacy can be committed, it can be deep, and it can be heartfelt. Let's go to 1 Samuel 20, 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other. Who's feeling awkward right now? You can raise your hand. But David wept the most. They kissed, they hugged, and they cried. Two men. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. 
Finally, later after Jonathan and David, Jonathan and Saul are slain in battle. David grieved deeply for his friend, and he had this to say. I am distressed for you. 2 Samuel 1, 26. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. That's, uh, that's the word against the naysayers or the people that are calling this some kind of weird relationship. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Wow. Wow. That always stops me in my tracks. Every time I read that, I'm like, that's, that's a deep, deep love. And David had a lot of women to love him. 2 Samuel. Oh, I'm sorry. So here, here David is, is no doubt weeping for the loss of his brother. He is in a great deal of agony and, and distress and exalts Jonathan's love. More than that, that he'd experienced from women. Again, to us, this may be striking. This may be off-putting. This may be off talk, but this is a love which exists, which existed between men without the distortion and noise of our cultural context. David later shows his mutual love and commitment for Jonathan when he exalts Jonathan's son, who is, who is lame, um, Mephibosheth, I always have a mouthful saying that. At his own royal table. So he seats M-Man at his table and gives him a place at his dinner table every, every day amongst his own children and, and those, those in his household. So David, we see here, reciprocates this love. It's not all Jonathan. He's David as well. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan. It's okay to show emotion, guys. See, true intimacy involves loyal, loyalty and, and trust. But it's okay to show anger towards your brother. And it's okay to have a brother be angry towards you without you fighting back or scurrying away, right? Those are our usual responses. Most of us are, are, are comfortable actually expressing anger, right? But show some empathy, show some care. Those things are a little harder for us to show. So what do we gather from this, these two in their relationship? They were intimately connected to one another. They washed one another's feet. If the thought of, or idea of, of male intimacy kind of rubs you or seems strange or unreasonable, 
Think about it this way. God chose the relationship of Jonathan towards David to show Jonathan, or to show David his care for David. God chose Jonathan to love David despite the circumstances that were surrounding him. God chose Jonathan to love David deeply because he loved David deeply. But he used another human being to show that. See, we expect God to come down and give us a hug, but the hug that he intended for you, you just told, get out your face. So we gotta think about these things. God uses, most, most times, other relationships to speak to us and to minister to us, to love us. See, Jonathan's love for David was, it was different, but it was not unmatchable. See, we can have that kind of love. We can, we can be those kinds of men that love this way. See, we have a love in Christ. I'm going to start yelling now so you can wake up, wake up. We have a love that is providential and provisional. For God, by his divine plan, provided himself a sacrifice by sending us his one and only son, our savior, our friend, our Jesus, the lover of our souls from heaven, his provision for us to be amended in relationship back to himself. See, we, we have a love that is sacrificial and covenantal, a love that came down from heaven, hung on a tree on Calvary for you and for me so that we can know and feel the intimacy of a father and a brother. God made a covenant with this very King David that we get to walk in by Christ. We have a love that intercedes and defends stands in the gap and protects as Jesus is ever interceding and ever defending us against naysayers and accusers before the Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit of God is ever protecting us as we sojourn in this land of destruction. See, we have this kind of love that, that, that so that we can be this kind of lover. We have this kind of love. The world doesn't have this kind of love, man. We have this kind of love. God sent his son to die so that we could have this kind of love to display. But we squander it sometimes. We're talking about evangelizing. We've got to love each other in such a way that it seems strange when somebody walks in here off the street. but they know it's pure. God wants us to show this. So find a brother. Find a brother for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. I'm not saying that flippantly. For Christ's sake. And wash, wash a brother's feet. If we have such a hard time loving one another, John says, you hate your brother when he's right in front of you how can you say you love God who's far away 
And that was my version. Don't worry about it. We have this intimacy that is deep and that is heartfelt from God, the Father, from his Son, and from his Holy Spirit. Intimacy began with God and the Father, God, God, I'm sorry, in the garden when God created us for a forever perfected intimate relationship with himself that was broken and God has been leading us back to that place of perfect and pure intimacy with himself ever since. Christ came so that we could have that with the Father, with himself, and with one another. God was pleased to send his son and his son was overjoyed to bring many sons to glory. Hallelujah. Love is the core of Christianity. Love is the core of the gospel. It's at the very core of it. Love is at the core of who we are and our need. God is love. So love him and love one another.